Okay, and welcome to Hattrick Sports Talk. Uh, we are recording this at around 1.12 p.m. Pacific on Thursday. Back-to-back shows again this week. I am with, as always, with my good buddy, Cole Hinkle. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm glad to be on today. Uh, new, new setup for this week? Yeah, no Niners flag. I know some of you, some of you viewers really miss it, but uh, different uh, location, a little more professional today. That's not the reaction I get, even from our crew. <laughs> That yeah. works on this show, even from Shane and Brendan. Like, why do you have a Niners flag back there? Uh, I, I think people are going to be happy that it's not there. I'm fine with it back there, but I think a lot of people are it's all right. I know you guys are going to miss it this week. It'll be back next week, though. I promise you guys. I don't want you guys to, you guys to go too long without seeing it. <laughs> all right. Awesome stuff. Awesome. Uh, we are starting with some NFL. Uh, we're going to go more in-depth tomorrow with Shane and Brandon about uh, – about trade deadline day, or excuse me, tag deadline day. Uh, but we did want to talk about Dak uh, because this is kind of the big story coming out of yesterday. Uh, Dak Prescott was involved in last-minute negotiations with the Cowboys yesterday, uh, according to NFL Media's Jan Slater. Uh, the updated terms were 33 to $35 million with 110 mil guaranteed. So here's the entire process of the afternoon updated from what I saw yesterday. I saw a different version yesterday. This is sort of my understanding based on the research that I've seen, based on the reports that I've seen about what happened yesterday between the Cowboys and Dax camp. So they met twice. Mm -hmm. They met twice yesterday uh, to discuss the contract. Um, Around, let's say, I don't know, 12, 20, 12, 30, I, from what I can tell, the Cowboys came to Dak with this contract, 33, I imagine about 35 million with 110 mil guaranteed. It's a five-year deal. They gave him a five-year deal. Dak and his team weren't happy about that. Uh, based on what I can tell, they either wanted 40 mil or more specifically, they only wanted four years. So they wanted the same amount of money, but four years, not five, from what I can tell. They tried to rush back with about 20 minutes left to try to figure out, to try to see basically if they can change the years. They couldn't get it done. It was too late. They hit one o'clock Pacific time. It's over. He's playing under the tag. Then 10 minutes later, I thought this was actually during that process. This is actually 10 minutes later. Dak's brother said, there's a reason I was never a Cowboys fan growing up before they drafted Dak. After today, who knows how much longer I'll be cheering for them. This was actually tweeted at 1.10 p.m., so 10 minutes after the deadline. This is a mess. What do you make of it, and who do you blame? Do you blame Dak's camp, or do you blame the Cowboys for what happened in the last few hours on uh, tag deadline day? Um, I guess this will be this will be about as close as a live reaction you're going to get from me, because I've been following this saga for a while, but I've tailored off here towards the end of this. Um, so I, I haven't seen like these tweets or anything. Um, but I mean, I, I probably put it more on Dax camp. Uh, that's just more or less because of this whole time I've been saying that, you know, he needs to take the money that he can get now um, rather than hold out for an extra couple million. Or I didn't, I didn't know he wanted less years. Um, Obviously, probably for when the salary cap bump comes up. What is it in a couple years that it bumps up? I mean, it's going to go down either way. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not really a bump thing. I think he just wanted to get in the market quicker. Yeah. 
Oh, so he can get another bigger contract. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I've always been in the camp of, I, I think he just needs to get his money while he can, because I, I know I've said this before on the show and I'll, I'll say it again to me. There's just something about playing for the Cowboys where you're getting a lot of other endorsements and stuff no, like for that. Sure, you, for sure. You're, you're going to make up that extra couple of million. It might not be, you know, straight away, but I think there's just other things added to being the quarterback of that team, especially when by all accounts, it's a pretty loaded roster. You know what I mean? You've got, yeah. you've got, now you've got CD lamb to pair with Amari Cooper. Like it's a, you've got the, arguably the best offensive line still. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're playing with a loaded team and you're the quarterback of the Cowboys, which is by all accounts, like one of the highest accolades or whatever you want to call it that you can have in the NFL. So I don't know. I feel like they're just being kind of petty over. It's, it's hard for me to say a little bit of money because it's not a little bit of money, but in like, in terms of what he's asking for in art, like what he's probably going to get on an open market. You know what I mean? It's not that much of a difference. He's never learned. I've said this before too, but he's never going to be in the same league as like a Pat Mahomes or anything like that. So what's a couple million dollars relatively, you know, over the course of however many years I, I get it, but it's something where I think the Cowboys are being generous. I, I wouldn't give him that type of money. Over that longevity, you know, I, I don't see it, but it's obviously not for a guy like you or me to decide. It's past that. So, Well, here's the thing. Jerry, Jerry ponies up and gives money. He does. Like, he does. When, it come, when push comes to shove, they'll have their arguments or whatever, but he'll give the money. And you know what? Props to him for doing that. He's a businessman. He knows the business better than many owners in the league. Whether he's perfect at it or not can be debated, but at least he knows the business. And the reality is he ponied up. He gave him 35 mil annually. Whether we agree or not that he deserves that money, which I think we can both agree he probably deserves 20, maybe 15. Yeah, I, I was going to say in the range of 20, yeah. He doesn't deserve 35 annually. Yet, Jerry understands the logistics and the business, the fact that, all right, we give him five years, take the capital will kind of shift throughout those five years, whatever. He understands that, yes, it's not, while it's not perfect, it's still 35 mil annually, and he still gets $110 million guaranteed. And, you know, with everyone saying, oh, yeah, he's kind of betting on himself here, this desperation doesn't show that he's betting on himself. It shows that he just wants the big money or he wants a deal that's friendly to him when, honestly, Take the, take the longevity, take the stability of the five-year contract. I don't understand from an agency perspective why they are so focused on getting him the deal that he actually wants when, let's be honest, that's an incredible deal. It's, it's, I think it's a little bit more than Russell Wilson money. That's not a bad deal. Why, why does he not just take it? Why is he pushing it too far? Like 20 minutes left to go, you get a good chunk of money guaranteed, it's 35 mil. Just take it. Yeah. I, I mean, if I'm Jerry, the offer's off the table for me after this year. I just let him play on the franchise tag and I let him walk. You know what I mean? The, like, like you've said, it's, if it's even in the ballpark of Russell Wilson, it's a stupid contract to me. And like you said, I'll give Jerry credit. He, he did pay when everyone else 
you know, kind of told him not to. And he's always done that. He's, you know, put his money where his mouth is and he, he does back up what he, you know, who he kind of believes in, whether we agree with it or not. But like you said, for his camp, I don't know what more they're looking for because like you said, the, the safety net of a five year, you know, with all that guaranteed. And like I said, like you said, in, in the range of Russell Wilson money is, is just stupid to me for him not to take. Like, like I was just saying too, with all the endorsements that he's going to get right. just playing for the Cowboys, it's, it's crazy to me that this has gone on for that long and that they're still trying to tweak numbers and years or whatever when I don't know. It's just, I, 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 I can't figure this one out. This is the one, like I said, I've been following the saga for a long time, but for them to keep bickering over whatever, you know, a year difference or whatever on the contract, like you just told me about, I, I don't see it. it, it and, and part, part of the problem, I, I guess, and, and let's shift to Dak's brother and his comments. If you're the Cowboys, how do you react to that? I mean, he's part of their camp. Yeah, if I'm here, I was just gonna ask you this question too. This will kind of tie into it. Do you do you believe Andy Dalton is better than Dak Prescott, or equal to? Uh, no, he's better. Dak is better. Dak is better, but I'm fine starting Andy Dalton over Dak after this. To me, they're they're equal, and that's where to me I'm like, okay, you want to start mouthing off and say comments like that, Andy, you're in like. You're in, buddy. We're, well, I mean, we're it's not him. It's his brother, but still. Still. it's Like you said, it's a part of his camp. Obviously, that that type of energy is being swirled around him. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. it's like, all right, you guys don't want to pay me or shorten the contract by year? Okay, fine. That's where the Cowboys need to play hardball. You know what I mean? They, they like you said, we've seen them being paying guys. And by all accounts, I think they're overpaying for Dak here, too. They just keep handing out money. It's time for them to just say, okay, you want to you wanna play hardball? We can play hardball too. You know what I mean? And to me, that's why I said at the beginning of the year, I think – or not the beginning of the year because the year hasn't started, but I think at some point we're going to see Dalton. I just think there's going to be a point where either Dak goes into a little bit of a stretch where he's not, you know, the same efficiency, whatever, or the money becomes too much of an issue or, you know, this type of – camp energy becomes more of a cancer to the rest of the team. You know what I mean? Where it becomes more of a looming problem than just him playing, which is, which is difficult for me to say because Dak's always been good about keeping this separate. I will say that for Dak. He's always separated this from his play, but I think at some point it's going to come to the point where it's not going to work anymore. So is it for you because – you're saying they're equal mostly because of the money issue, or do you actually feel like? I, honestly, play-wise, I feel like they're they're about equal. About like Dak yeah, is. I'm not sure bit, about that. Dak but. is a little bit better. You have to take into account Dalton's never played with the offensive line like that. He's never had a running back like that. What did he have in then? Giovanni Bernard and Joe Mixon, which. Off and off product, on and off production. Yeah, let's be honest. Danny had Joe Mixon, but I mean, in in his prime, he had like Jeremy Hill. You know, his yeah. but he had AJ Green, but outside of that, it wasn't a whole lot. You know what yeah. I mean? It's arguably with I would like to see what he would do with a more of a rounded roster around him. I'm not saying he's good or great, but I definitely think you can get close to, if not 
the same production from him that you would get from Dak Prescott. Maybe statistically. I'm and, not too sure. And then sure. you add in, like you said, the money factor. To me, it's just – it's not even close at that point. When you factor in the money, to me, it's not even close. Now, let, let's be honest here. I mean, I don't think many shows have talked about this, but I think this is an important thing to understand. If Dak next year – if we do have a full season and Dak next year does, let's say, get a transition tag or go on the open market, a team's going to pay him what he wants. There's a team out there that is going to be willing to give Dak the contract that he's looking for. Yeah. Now, as we're ta- as you've mentioned, now will the endorsement deals be as good? No. Will maybe the, the outside money be as good? No, but at least he'll get the contract he's looking for. So Yeah, but then – to me, more or less, he's just going to be exposed at that point. You're going to go to way less of a roster because the teams that are willing to pay him that money aren't going to be nearly as good. And he's going to turn into Nick Foles. It's going to be what it is. He's just going to turn into someone that got paid a lot of money, which he wanted to right away, and he's going to disappear after that. You know, I I just don't think you're going to be able to get, like I said, the team that, that pays him that amount of money isn't going to be what he thinks it is. And I think he'll regret that decision really quickly if he does decide to go that route. Because I, th- I think, which is, which is why I feel like he's playing. He's just playing hardball. I don't think he actually like want. Obviously, I don't think he actually wants to leave. You know, which is becoming concerning to me after seeing comments like this and stuff from his brother, who's in his camp. Like you said, it's becoming a little bit more concerning because I, I think he's starting to trend in that direction of like being like, okay, I will leave, but. That to me is where like it's like okay, you know, do it. Like see, like everyone, there's that stereotypical saying of the grass is always greener on the other side. And I think if he leaves that scenario, like we're talking about with endorsements, with the roster, with you know Jerry kind of letting him run the show like he does, he's gonna regret it quick. And I think the one of the important things to keep in mind throughout all this is that Dak is better with a more talented team. He just is. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And we've seen the numbers like when he has Zeke versus when he doesn't and stuff like that. There's, there's a big drop off when he doesn't have run game, when he doesn't have, you know, kind of that play action, like, like coaching for him that can set him up in those scenarios where he is effective because he's only effective in very few like settings and scenarios. So you have to get him in those spots for him to look like what he thinks is $35 million worth which he's not. He's just not. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about the bubble now. You ready to talk, uh, talk about the bubble? I'm, I'm bubble ready. Let's do it. Uh, so the NBA bubble has been very interesting so far. Um, number one, Rockets and Kings players are the first two to break quarantine. Bruno Caboclo left his room when he wasn't supposed to, and then Rashawn Holmes left the bowl for delivery food. The delivery food thing's pretty funny because they were tweeting at each other. Like, a few NBA players were like, you can get Grubhub here. Just go, <laughs> like, in this direction. And then uh, I, I guess Rashawn Holmes kind of screwed himself there, but it was, it was kind of – Did you see what his mom said, too? What did his mom say? His mom said, the only reason you should be leaving for food is if it's your mom's home cooking, so I don't know where you went. And then she said, I'll deliver if you really need me to. <laughs> uh. And then, well, we'll get to the food more specifically because this goes to another problem, of course, about 
the food and we'll, we'll get to our thoughts there. But then the anonymous hotline has probably been the biggest story of the week in terms of the actual bubble with multiple people just like reporting um, stuff on the hotline and they, everyone's saying, oh my God, it's like Chris Paul or something. And people are just like pissed off that people are like snitching on the hotline. I, I thought the hotline was stupid because like the MLS doesn't need a freaking hotline. Why does the NBA need a hotline? What? It's a little bit middle school, but... <laughs> I, 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 what are your thoughts on this anonymous hotline and everyone just calling it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a little corny to me. Like you said, we don't, we don't see it with the MLS. I don't know why the NBA would need it. Um, separate story, a little bit inappropriate, but did you see that they're also having problems with NBA players calling women into... Really? Yeah, that's uh, we've seen a couple Instagram models being like been posting on there that uh, the NBA she put on there the NBA is gonna get shut down for sure. It's only been a week and I've already been invited to the NBA bubble twice or something. Like I I don't know. It's I think there does need to be some you know like policing per se, but at a certain point it's like on the guys. You know what I mean? Like. And then, of course, you get all the, like, the Twitter reactions of when the, when the girl said that. And, you know, they're all like, if you, I swear to God, if you get the NBA shut down because some third-string player wanted to meet you, I'm going to be pissed. It's like... It's like Nick Young got in the bubble. Yeah. yeah it's no, like a, a, little bit, a little bit too much, you know what I mean? Honestly, here's, here's the thing. What is happening... We're already a week into this, and and I'm and I'm sitting here going, this is with everything that's happening. Yes, we're being playful about it, but is this seriously going to work? Because let's be let's be like I believe it's going to work probably more so once games start. Because I mean they're just there and training and practicing. But like I mean the MLS has had its fair share of problems anyway with the bubble. Yeah, I I don't. I think, I think you bring up a fair point about the MLS not necessarily needing a hotline, though. I think you're starting to see the personalities and the kind of we, – we talk about it all the time with the NBA. You know, it's a player's league. I think you're starting to see that in a bubble-type setting how much, like, how much personality there really is. Now, that's not a bad thing at all. You know what I mean? Like, that's good. We get to see, like, a little more on a personal level. But you're also going to get a lot more of this other stuff, like we've been talking about, whether it's – you know, the women or drinking or whatever, you know, like food, food. Yeah. You're going to get a lot more of this other, you know, kind of aspects of these guys day to day that we wouldn't generally otherwise. See. I'm sorry. I don't need to see this. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't care. I, it's like, and, I respect them as people. I don't need to know all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it can be a little bit much, but I just think that, it just speaks on the volume of like, you know, how player driven the NBA really is. Like but it, we, we, we get so much more media from these guys than we do with any other league. Well, it's also like, like even, even coaches are like, you know what, post stuff up because you know what, people need the content or whatever. It's like, normally my policy would be different, but in this situation, go ahead. It's like, okay, I ha- I'm fine with uh, Luca posting a video of him hitting half court shots but i'm not fine with them like just like i don't know just showing 
these random stuff or the what's actually like the food or or like what their day-to-day is in the hotel or whatever like i don't really need this stuff like all i need to know is that they're safe and they were ready to go i think that's all we care about and that's all we should be caring about at this point yeah like you said i i think we don't really need all that other extra stuff i just think it's it's creating this atmosphere where like i don't know how to explain it like they don't want them to be bored or something. So they, you know, allow them to do all this kind of other stuff when really they should be focused on other stuff. You know, I'm like sorry, watch TV. Getting getting ready for, you know, games, like you said, it shouldn't the focus shouldn't be showing everyone my food or whatever, you know? But I mean It's like just like watch TV or something or like work out. Like Jimmy yeah. Butler Jimmy Butler's the best, because Jimmy Butler got a noise complaint because he was working too hard in his hotel room now oh, that's i didn't see that yeah no that's that's something i respect yeah I respect we that need more of that rather than like you said the other garbage did, what did jj reddick put out a couple days ago on twitter that he'll shotgun a bud light if he gets ten thousand retweets and it became like a viral sensation it was just like what are we doing like Honestly, is this like a party atmosphere or is this, are we getting ready to play NBA games? But also not only that, are we, are we certain that because it feels at least from a social media perspective, like a party, party atmosphere, are we certain that once games fully start, that everyone's going to be safe and we're not going to have problems? That's, that's what I want to ask you. I think, especially after me seeing like, you know, girls putting out there that they've been at invited do you think there's even longevity to this? I think if it's only been a week or whatever in there, you know, it's already being reported that there's outside influence, whether, like you said, it's going out to get food or whatever. Like, I think it's more likely that we see, you know, a spike in, in COVID numbers. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's interesting too, looking at, I believe it was Russell Westbrook, uh, and a few more, I think, uh, Malcolm Brogdon got cleared today, I believe, but or yesterday. Most, at least going into the bubble, if you had it, you're like, if you had it, there, you have to get cleared or whatever, you know, all this stuff. So at least the protocols out, coming outside to in the bubble look good. Mm-hmm. But I don't know necessarily about the safety and security that's being portrayed in the actual bubble itself and that's where i'm like concerned more than anything else yeah that's that's what i mean i mean i wonder what like the like precautions are taking i i've seen on a few like posts of the dallas mavericks that i follow on facebook of them like having to like scan a badge to get in and out but i don't know like how if every team is doing that or if that's yeah, like how in-depth that is as far as people coming in, especially, you know, rather than, mm-hmm. you know, I, if you can scan to get out, like how often are you going out type of thing? Yeah. You know and I, mean? I mean, I thought the bubble was there to stay in the bubble. Like you said, there's – obviously you can't keep guys there, like lock them down. But, like, what are you going out to get if, like you said, there's Grubhub and they're providing food and, yeah. like, it's a whole it's, – it's like – a whole apartment complex and stuff like it's not like you're just leaving like your room you know what i mean like there's other plenty of other stuff to be doing like what at that point what are you leaving for right and then and here's the thing 
I know that I believe Zion got an excused absence today. There, there's people getting absences, right? Saying like, hey, I need to leave for this. I need to leave for a family matter and those things. That I can respect, right? Yeah. Because at least they're talking to the team and saying, hey, I have this matter that I need to attend to. I know Troder has a baby on the way in a few weeks. He's going to be leaving for that. That I respect. But if mm-hmm. they're just leaving to quickly get food, I'm not sure how much that you know, affects COVID-19 or whatever. Of course, there's a reason why there's contactness delivery everywhere now. There's a reason yeah. for that. But it's yeah. like, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what impact that makes. But at the same time, I'm just not entirely sure. But it is nerve-wracking because I think it just shows what Adam Silver was concerned about, maybe to a heightened degree, because we can actually see it every day. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I just wonder the longevity of this because, like, like you touched on with the MLS, we haven't – we don't see this type of stuff. I mean, their but numbers – But it's still been are, terrible. Their, their numbers are worse, which does concern me because if their numbers are worse and we're not hearing about this stuff from them, what, what are we what – we, what can we really expect? I mean, we're getting matches canceled left and right. That's what I mean. So what can we really expect from NBA if we're hearing – that they're going out and doing all this stuff, inviting people, you know, yeah. we're hearing, we're not hearing that from MLS and we're still getting cases. Like, cases. Yeah. Right. And, and we're mentioning the MLS cause they're literally in the same bubble. They're just in opposite sides. Yeah. It's literally the exact same thing. Exactly. So it's, it's strange. I don't know. Also, uh, I didn't know you can go fishing there. Like the first oh, yeah, Ben yeah. Simmons went fishing. Where did yeah. he go fishing? I don't know. I I seen uh, Boban too out fishing. Where the fa- where where, I, where are they? <laughs> where they're they're in the bubble. They were fine, but where where can they go fish? Yeah, I don't know. I I'm so confused. <laughs> that's I never, what I mean. There's plenty. There's plenty of activities for those guys there. You know? But I'm so confused. Like I've never been to like that Disney in Orlando. But is there like a fishing place we can go to now? What happened? <laughs> I'm, I'm so confused. I don't know. It's so strange. I don't know what's happening. Now, <laughs> finally, let's get to the food because I think we need to comment on this. Yeah. Um, also, we're going to be talking about the food tomorrow because we found it to be really funny. Shane Brandon and I, all the food stuff. LeBron's not going to eat this. Is he? I get. I guess the yeah. I guess these guys are on a little bit of a different level in terms of probably what they're expecting from the food. I I just want to say it is a little bit frust not frustrating, but it is a little bit sad to me that like we have these complaints. You know, more or less. Like there, there's people who I don't want to get on such a somber note, but there's people that don't have food and stuff. You know, I don't want to sound like spoiled you know right no 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 and that that's not the point here but but that's not that's not i think the point of the discussion the point of the discussion in general is is the fact that these are world-class athletes and most of or a good portion of them literally have chefs yeah and this is what they're getting you guys are on a different level as far as like when we picture like what you know like general meal should be these guys are on another level you know like you said they're professional athletes are on a certain like diet diet needs and stuff calorie intake which is why i found Embiid's post actually to be pretty funny when he said i'm gonna look like he did when he was like 15 
you know? Um, Cause for a guy that big, this, this is just, isn't going to keep him going. You know what I mean? These, to be honest for him, a smaller portion, obviously to us, it looks a little bit different, whatever, you know, like yeah. I said, I don't want to like take anything away from, obviously there are starving people. Right. Out. And that that's very important. I think that's a good point that you bring up. That's fairly important that, yeah. you know, there are people that are going through this, but in this particular situation, but, we're talking about world-class athletes who need exactly. more. These guys are on like high levels of, um, you know, training intervals and stuff like that where they need like i said a certain number of calories a certain number of you know meats a certain number of whatever and the nba should be doing better than this there's really it's not really not that great for you know like we said world-class athletes a guy like lebron who i'm sure is used to like extreme gourmet you know what i mean this probably feels like a a lunchable to him you know what i mean it's like so, yeah, I, I think the NBA should be doing a little bit better, just to keep it short and simple. I think the NBA needs to be providing for these athletes that are going to be performing here in a couple of weeks. And then I love the, the Stacey's chips. That was the one thing that I found <laughs> funny. Like, all right, you, you finish your strawberries and some salad, and you got the chips at the end. Like, okay, man. It's, uh, it is. So it, weird. It's, it's pretty comical. Uh, all right, enough with the bubble. Let's talk about the players that are actually now in the bubble and all the news that has been around there. So Ben Simmons, right? He's primarily playing point guard for them. So I really wanted to get your thoughts on the fact that he's now playing power forward for them in practices. Why do you think Brett Brown made this change? And actually, do you think it's better for them long-term as they hit this eight-game regular season schedule? Um. So one thing I do want to touch on with Ben Simmons is I've seen a recent video of him, like, actually shooting the ball. We can get Ben Simmons just to be able to shoot the ball at, like, a 20% clip instead of, you know, an atrocious, like, never. Um, the 76ers will be a lot better, okay? That put aside, speaking on him playing power forward or whatever, I don't know that it necessarily makes too much of a difference because I still think he's going to be handling the ball and stuff. You know, it's more of a label change as far as maybe his his defensive positioning, which I don't think he's going to be able to guard necessarily a lot of power forwards. Or maybe they're trying to switch it up so he gets somehow a mismatch where a power forward's trying to guard him, which is never going to happen um, unless it's like Giannis or, you know, something like that. So to me, it's a little bit stupid, to be honest. Um, it would make sense if we were playing – seventh grade AAU basketball because then he'd be playing a little bit more in the post, which I think, you know, fits him a little bit better. But if he's playing in the post, he's not going to have a guard guarding him. He's going to have someone bigger, which kind of eliminates his strengths. Um, but yeah, I don't know that that necessarily makes too much of a difference just because I feel like he's still going to be controlling the ball most of the time for them. So it's kind of like LeBron, you know, when we, we can switch labels from point guard to small forward to power forward as much as we want, but it doesn't really change a whole lot of what he really does on the court for them. But then why would Brett Brown – I just – I have a question. Basic, let, let, let's be honest. We're, we're at a point where, let's say, we are in, we're in basically what May or June would look like, like late season. That's, mm-hmm. what this, that's what this is right now. We're back to basically June and it's late season. Why at this stage, and obviously we're kind of restarting, but 
why at this stage would they make this decision then at all? Is there anything in terms of the relationship, the focus of Embiid and Simmons playing together? Like, where is Brett Brown's reasoning to even do this at this stage? Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point that you bring up. I think in more of relation to the Embiid-Simmons relationship, um, it's always been a little bit clunky. Um, so for them to try – I just think it's more of a grab to, like – okay, we're restarting, let's restart, like fully restart to try and like – because obviously they started really slow this season. You know, like they weren't – they're inconsistent. We didn't get what we thought we were going to get out of them. So to me it just feels more of a grab. Like we're going to change some things verbally with, you know, how, how we operate and stuff like that. And hopefully it somehow clicks a gear in a guy's mindset as far as, you know – what his play style should be or whatever. Um, yeah, to me, it just feels a little bit weird. Like I said, I just think he, maybe he's trying to get different mismatches. You know, if they label him as a power forward, he's trying to get different, you know, positioning value out of him defensively and offensively. But I, I don't I, – there's not much I can really grab onto here. You know what I mean? I just think, like I said, it, like it's with LeBron. He's going to be handling the ball. Um but like I said, if you can just get a decent 20, 25 like, percent out of him shooting and he can space the floor a little bit, you're going to get more out of him. That's why I don't really understand the power forward label because if you want him to feel like a guard, you probably label him point guard, you know, which would also be awkward. But at least you're in his mindset then because when you teach basketball from a, you know, from a young age, the mindset of being a guard versus a big, a big you're supposed to be in the post, a guard you're supposed to be out – so if you label him more of a, as a guard, I think you, you might get him to open up a little bit, you know, and space the floor a little bit more, which is what you need from him because you already have Embiid in the post. Um, but, yeah, if you can just get a decent – if he's willing to shoot the ball, just shoot it. Like, it doesn't have to go in all the time. Then you're going to get more production, I think, than you trying to label him a power forward and him playing a little bit more post ball. You so know that. So then here's a couple of things. One, at, at least for the duration of his career, he's played point guard. His position yeah. is point guard. Yeah. And then now you put him at power forward, and it, if, like you're saying, I think everyone agrees, they do want him to shoot a little bit more, and he has done that at times this season. It's not been perfect. I think he's still trying to grow that piece of his game. I mean, I think we can both agree what he's good at is assisting and passing the ball and getting guys in good position, right? But then if you're coaching, if you're Brett Brown, are you trying to make him more of a stretch four than at this point? Or like, is that what their theory is? Like, that doesn't work for him. Like, I don't know. Maybe because we've heard, actually, now that I think about it, this, this might make more more sense if I think about it this way. Because what we've heard from Brett Brown and Joel Embiid is that Embiid's always kind of had a problem and with Brett Brown wanting to make him more of a, a stretch five. You know, we've, mm-hmm. we've all been told, like, we want Embiid in the post. We want Embiid in the post. And he said, well, that's not what I'm being asked to do. I'm asked to being a stretch five. So if we reverse those kind of roles and maybe we put Ben Simmons in the post more, then you have sort more of that spacing with your – your two best players. You know what I mean? So maybe he's trying to get a little bit of role reversal where, you know, we have 
Embiid spaced out a little bit more, which is what we've seen him being asked to do. We have Simmons a little bit more down low, and maybe you try and play a little more in and out reverse. I don't, I don't know it's, how it's, that would work, but it's confusing because then you're asking Embiid to be more of a passer, which isn't his game. Then Simmons, which who is definitely more of a passing guard in this sense or a passing big well, in this sense. Well, in a half court setting. Which, it, which is also our problem with the 76ers, you know, because we want them to run a little bit more with Simmons. They, they slow the ball down a little bit more. In a half-court setting, if you can throw the ball into Simmons, you might be able to get a little bit more collapsing of the defense, which then he's a good passer to be able to find mm-hmm. shooters around him type of thing. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Yeah. So in a half-court setting, it would, it would work if, you know, you slowed it down a lot. Because like, like I said, the problem for me is you're asking him to be – a stretch five, which is weird, but you yeah. know, that's what Brett Brown's asking him to do. So maybe him labeling Simmons as a power forward, he's trying to get that more of that spacing that he was looking for before where, if, cause you don't get the shooting from Simmons. He's not, he hasn't shown the, the willingness to even shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. So MB has shown the willingness to shoot it. So maybe you reverse it and you, you get a spark, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit, late like you said in the season to be doing that but it's probably a grab at something 76ers to me still though um i've said it for a while before the season shut down i think they're gonna make a surprise run i i do think they match up well with teams like milwaukee um and if they can just get a little bit consistency i i think you could find this team in the in the finals i'm not sure about that but considering the east potentially i i still feel like milwaukee's gonna find a way to win the east but at the end of the day, let's also keep this in mind that next week we're going to have scrimmages. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to have complete scrimmages. Every team is going to basically scrimmage. There's, there's like a scrimmage schedule where teams are scrimmaging against each other next week. So potentially, I mean, I don't know how much of scrimmage footage we'll get to see. I imagine it won't be a lot because these aren't televised, which I don't understand, but they're not being televised, at least from what I can tell. Mm-hmm maybe they're trying to test this out in the scrimmages just to kind of see how it plays out potentially. I don't, yeah. I don't know how much, are, are they going to be really creative in the scrimmages and just try to do everything kind of wonky or because the scrimmages are there to get these guys kind of warmed up. They're not, yeah. I don't think they're necessarily there to experiment at all. Yeah. I mean, Probably, like I said, a few last-second tweaks as far as, you know, trying to switch things up a little bit. Like you said, though, this is more of probably to me more – the scrimmages are there for conditioning and stuff like that rather than to, you know, readjust how you operate as a team. So more or less it's probably just, you know, if it it's kind of a flash-in-the-pan type of thing where if it works, it's great, you know, but if it doesn't, we just go back to what we were doing. Yeah. Uh, And let's talk about Rondo. So Rondo had thumb surgery today. It was just announced today that he came out of surgery. He's fine. He'll be back in six to eight weeks. The Lakers without Rondo, and of course we've, we've mentioned how big potentially Avery Bradley, missing Avery Bradley could be. For these six to eight weeks, Cruz is going to have a lot more on his plate, I imagine, due to Rondo's injury. But how does this affect the Lakers? Uh, Because – I presume Rondo will be back like right about when the playoffs start or in the second or third round. So what does that mean for the Lakers? Yeah, that's 
that's something I brought up to you that was a real concern to me a couple weeks ago with Avery Bradley not joining the team for the restart. Um, I feel like, like I've mentioned, he's sort of that key piece as far as the starters go, as far as defensively and, you know, being able to space the floor. Um, losing Rondo is even bigger for me because I think Rondo brings a certain kind of playoff. And we've heard it before with playoff Rondo, you know, where he, he steps it up in the playoffs and he plays a lot better. But um, we've even heard, you know, Doc and, you know, different coaches, Alvin Gentry, who coached him in New Orleans, um, say stuff like, when, when we get in the playoffs, Rondo knows what the other team's trying to do by game two. He can figure them out in a game of, you know, different type of sets and stuff that they're running. So just from a mental standpoint, I think him being on the floor is huge. Um, for, especially for that second group. He controls the pace for that whole second group. They're a little bit faster when Rondo's on the floor, that second group. Um, so I wonder now that Caruso is transitioning into probably more with the starters, um, the second group, I'm going to be wondering what type of pace they're going to be playing. Because, I mean, your ball handler is probably at this point J.R. Smith. You know, I don't, I don't really know where you go. What um, do you do with J.R.? Yikes. Yeah, so I'll be interested to see how the type of flow and tempo that the, the second group plays with. Um, but going back to just what Rondo does for this team from a mental standpoint – it's going to be a huge loss, especially, like I said, with Avery Bradley being out. They really don't have, like, a real point guard that's proven, um, which to me could really hurt them if they get the wrong matchup in the second round because I don't think he's going to be back till the third round. Um, so the first round, I think they, they can overcome that. The second round, depending on who they get, I think it could be a real problem for them. Um, not to say that they can't overcome that, but I think it'll be a lot more challenging than they think it's going to be. Um, so hopefully Rondo's back for them just in time for it to, you know, really start ramping up and you start to, you know, play some real good teams. Cause I've mentioned it to you and it's still a huge concern of mine, the loss of Avery Bradley for Frank, Frank Vogel and what Avery Bradley does for that team. Rondo wasn't going to be able to provide that shooting anyway. You know what I mean? And the spacing on that, on that first unit. So now you're taking away, to me, the defensive aspect. You know, Caruso's a decent defender, but he's definitely not Rondo or Avery Bradley. And I, I love Caruso, don't get me wrong, but just asking him to do that much more, I, I'm a little concerned with the, the guard position for the Lakers, you know, especially with smaller, smaller, quicker guards. Like I said, if they get the wrong matchup, you know, if they somehow run into, like, Houston with Russell Westbrook at point guard, you know, who guards him? It, yeah. it, it becomes a real question mark for this team. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see. To me, the biggest thing is the, the pace of play for the second unit. You know, I, the bench unit has always been solid for the Lakers. So I, I wonder what the production looks like there. Um, last thing I do want to say, though, about Caruso, I, I think he's more than willing. Uh, we've seen him, you know, close games for the Lakers and be on it in, in crunch time on the floor for them. Um, but just over a, like you said, elongated play time, how, how efficient can he be? Cause he's actually, I heard a crazy stat. The Lakers were like plus nine or something when Caruso's on the floor with LeBron. So LeBron's been able to come up, cover up, obviously some of Caruso's deficiencies where with Rondo, they've been, I think plus two. So there's, there's a better plus minus for Caruso, but it's in a lot shorter time. 
So. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's also talk uh, to finish out the Lakers. I think uh, it would be important to mention J.R. Smith. To bring him in here, jokes aside, what does he bring to the table from this team that they didn't have uh, before the restart? Um, kind of like we talked about at the trade deadline, them needing kind of a, another playmaker. Uh, I don't know how efficient JR is at this point, you know, but it's that same type of kind of juice I think they were looking for when we were talking about at the trade deadline, Derek Rose. You know what I mean? Um, a guy who can come in and just kind of take over, like I said, ball handling and isolation responsibilities, you know, when LeBron's not on the floor, um, especially from the guard position. Um, obviously a little bit more shooting with JR, a familiarity with LeBron. So, you know, there's there's a rapport there. Um, I don't expect a whole lot. I think that's what people have to understand is I don't think you can be expecting a lot from JR at this point. Um, so don't expect him to come in and be, you know, like a great isolation player like He's shown flashes, um, but if you limit your expectations for him, I think he can he can handle you know the role that I I think he's going to be given because I don't think it's going to be very big. Yeah. Um, and then let's move on to the Boston Celtics. Um, so one of the biggest things, um, I mean, this kind of really started towards the All Star break and then kind of continued towards the end of the season with uh, Kemba and his knee, and he's been dealing with some soreness. I'm concerned about this now more than I was towards the all-star break. And the main reason why is just because we've had what a few months off now, right? They ended in March. We've had a good chunk of time off before we got to this bubble setting. I mean, we didn't know it was going to happen for a while. Right. So, I mean, I mean, we ended on what March 20 some, and now we're in July. And the fact that he's still having issues with the knee is just really concerning. Uh, what's your thoughts on it, and how do you feel like the Celtics play without Kemba on the floor? Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I think it's the longer this has gone on, you know, generally and ob- kind of obviously speaking, it, it becomes a greater concern, you know, especially when we were told from the beginning it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, it was a little more, not to say rest, but, you know, you know, give a guy a day off here and there type of thing, not necessarily like a a much bigger issue like I feel like it's becoming um but Kemba and the Celtics on and off the you know Kemba on the court or off the court I think is a huge difference um as far as providing leadership for that team they're a little bit younger um kind of a calming presence as far as you know being an extension of the coach which is always what we say with point guards you know, I think Brad Stevens finally got his guy that he could kind of implement his system with and, you know, a guy that kind of followed what he asked him to do, you know, rather than Kyrie being a little bit more ball-dominant kind of, you know, isolation. Um, so if he misses periods of time, it's going to be really hard for the Celtics. Um, although they have shown depth before, you know, when Kyrie got hurt and stuff like that, we, we've seen obviously the young guys can step up. Tatum towards the Taylor end of that you know before it got shut down was really starting to break out and really really perform well so obviously his his role will be expanded but like I said more or less this team needs kind of steadying like veteran leadership presence you know going if they're going to make a run in the playoffs this is I think also another sleeper team that I think people have kind of forgotten about um 
but they're going to need Kemba to do that. Um, and then let's move on to another injury, which has also been really interesting uh, pretty much throughout the whole year in Victor Oladipo. Uh, he said about a week ago that he's not going to play, wants to focus on his rehab. And then now he's making some progress and he's thinking about coming in the bubble and playing. Do you, do you, if you're the coach of the Pacers, do you feel like it's smart to have Oladipo play at this point? Or do you feel more comfortable with him just taking the time off, considering where we expect the Pacers to be at the end of all this, which is maybe a first or second round exit. Yeah, this this one sucks for me because this was my dark horse team. If you remember, I was making predictions at the beginning of the year. This was my team that I kind of slated to, you know, make it some decent noise in the playoffs. Um, obviously, that that revolves around Victor Oladipo. He was my breakout performer. You know, obviously with me having the the team where I did have them. Um, so obviously I'd like to see him out on the floor. Like you said, though, at this point, making a little progress and having a whole off season to, to kind of re up himself is, you know, a lot more important for this Pacers organization going forward because it's still a younger team. Um, they do need probably another piece. Um, but I think Nate's done a good job. Nate McMillan, the head coach of the, the Pacers, he's done a good job of just keeping that ship steady, no matter, you know, kind of the curveballs losing Paul George initially and stuff like that have gone. Um, Victor Oladipo has been a really, a really good bright spot for this team. Um, I, I want, I want to see him play as a fan, but I know if I'm, if I'm Indiana and I'm Larry Bird, you know, I, I'm asking him to sit out and think of, think of next year, because like I said, I think this team does probably need another piece whether you get that this offseason or not, you know, is probably not going to happen just being in Indiana. Um, but, yeah, like you said, being a first or second round exit isn't isn't worth the risk of re-rupturing that Achilles. Yeah. Or... yeah. I have another piece of the Ben Simmons story that oh. just came out. here. Okay, so Brett Brown intends to have Ben Simmons run the second unit offense. Okay, so probably a little bit less of him with the first unit. Like I said, probably a little more you're, – you're going to be asking him to probably do a little more playmaking then because if Ben Simmons is going to be taking over when the second unit comes in, he's going to be asked to probably do a little more of that run and gun that we've been hoping for. You know, you take Embiid off the floor, the team gets a little bit faster, then you ask Simmons to push the ball a little bit more. I wonder now if this is sort of a, a two-part thing where – just, you have two separate units, one that include Ben Simmons and one that includes Embiid. It is. Instead of having them both play at the same time. Do you think that's beneficial for them? Yes, definitely. I think that's something you and me have always been talking about, um, which is why we always have good debates when we talk about Simmons or Embiid, but the bigger argument is um, can these two play together? You know what I mean? That's always what we we brought to attention when we have these debates, but I think – they're finally realizing that for these two to be effective, they, they both play two different styles of basketball and it doesn't necessarily mesh well together. Um, especially with Ben Simmons not being able to space the floor. Um, but like I said, yeah, you probably get them starting together. Um, and for the first little bit, it's going to be run through Joel Embiid. Um, and Ben Simmons is probably taking a back seat to rest a little bit. And then 
little faster pace, you know, when the second unit comes in and let Ben Simmons do what he does most efficiently, which is run the floor. And like you mentioned, get other guys involved. I think this is probably the best way for this team to operate if they're going to keep both of them together, just because we've obviously seen the, the inconsistency and the incapability of these two being able to play together. I wonder how it looks in the scrimmages, of course. Uh, they're probably the most interesting scrimmage team for this reason. But if they like it, they could be on a different trajectory, I think. We'll see, though. We have to see how it works on the floor. Um, yeah. So I put the Karis LeVert news on here partially because I wanted to talk about the Nets and what their perspective is. So Karis LeVert, Jock Vaughn says he kind of has a different swagger about him. I, I love Karis. I, he was really productive towards the tail end of uh, – before the shutdown, the Nets are in a strange position. Yeah, they brought a few guys in uh, to kind of fill out the roster, but they, they've kind of lost it now because don't, they don't have DeAndre Jordan. They don't have Spencer Dinwiddie. It's not really the same team. Do you expect big things out of the Nets, or do you feel like there's a potential that they're going to be a first-round next and then that's kind of it? This is kind of a washed year for them with all the pieces that they lost. Yeah, so just to touch on Karis LeVert because – I know, I know that's your boy. I wanted to give you a little love on the on the pod and and say that this has been your boy from day one. So same with Dimity too. Same with Dimity yeah. too. But so I know it's, it's probably a little bit exciting for you to hear. You know, he's he's going to be playing with a little more, you know, kind of swag to him he, that he, he needs to play with because he is a really good player and I think he can be kind of that. I don't think he'll get the chance to be, but I wish he would get kind of that third that third role around Kyrie and Katie next year. You know what I mean? Where he's kind of that third star. I don't think he'll get those those opportunities. But, you know, he's a, he's a good young piece. Um, but going back to Brooklyn as a whole, or one more thing I want to touch on, just because you mentioned, you know, them bringing in a couple of guys. I was really happy to see Jamal Crawford get some run. You know, Yeah, I'm excited to watch he, him. He should be in the league for sure. Um, the dude can still fill it up with just about anyone. Um, but – just the Brooklyn as a whole, I think they know this is the last year since Kyrie went out. Uh, I think they know it's it's all about next year when you get hopefully get KD back fully healthy. And, and I think they're probably looking to bring in someone else if you can package a couple of those young guys. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I To me, like we mentioned at the beginning of the year, the DeAndre Jordan thing is a little clunky for me. Um, but yeah, I think they knew once Kyrie went out that it was, it was a wash year. You know, you you already had KD sitting out. The hype built around this team is all about next year, and that's what everyone's looking forward to. Um, but I I will say it'll be fun to see, like you said, and you've you've been on the hype train of younger guys like Dinwiddie, not necessarily younger, but Dinwiddie, Karis Levert, you know, some of these other guys get more ops when when they've shown that when they get these chances they've been more than effective mm-hmm. I, I mean looking ahead to next year let's say we do start on December 1st um, if everyone's back healthy is this team an NBA title contender next year under especially under a shortened season if we have let's say a 60 game season or whatever I mean they're definitely a contender um, I'm not willing to crown them champions just yet not mm-hmm. I'm not saying you you said that but I know a lot of people will just because Katie's back, you know, and Kyrie will probably be fully – should be fully healthy by then. So a lot of people are going to crown them right away. Um, I'm still intrigued to see kind of this uh, chemistry 
or lack thereof that I feel like is going to be existent, um, especially with them, I feel like, always pushing for kind of a third star when I think they have good depth right now. Oh, we've had a conversation. Kyrie's like, we need a third star. I'm like, chill out. <laughs> yeah, that, that to me is, you know, you, you're going to kill some of your depth. You're going to kill some of the youth. Um, but, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see next year. I definitely think – I think if KD's fully healthy and I think if Kyrie is there for the playoffs, I think this team is easily Easter Conference Finals. I mean, I think that's that's more than – it's not really me going out on a limb. You know, it's more than, more than fair for me to say that this team is the Eastern Conference Finals team if those guys are healthy. Um, but I, I don't – I can't put them past there yet just because, of, like I said, chemistry issues. I feel like there's going to be problems and bumps along the road where we've seen before with KD and Kyrie, you know, a little bit of a uh, a lack thereof, you know, doing their due diligence of trying to keep the team together, you know, as far as a chemistry standpoint. But in a shortened season, do you think that will be exacerbated a little bit more? Like if we have a really, really short season – how much will that be of effect? To me, the shortened season would benefit them because I think there's there's going to be less time for them to kind of bicker. You know what I mean? I think there's there's going to be less time for them to, you know, have those chances where things might no, not go 100%. Now, obviously, you can, you can counter that and say with a shortened season, you're going to have more, you know, challenging spots and games that are going to mean more. Um, but I just think over a shortened season, I feel I just feel like these guys want to get along so good because they are friends that the less time they spend together is almost more beneficial. Yeah. Because like like me and you have touched on with, with the bubble scenario, um, just speaking on NBA and the bubble as, as a whole, is, yeah, you can be around guys for, you know, limited amount of time, but when you're spending every day with them for multiple weeks, it does get stale. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's something I brought up before. So limited time is probably beneficial to this team. Yeah. Uh, and then let's talk about the Kings as well. De'Aaron Fox uh, suffered an ankle sprain in Wednesday's practice. He'll be reevaluated in a week's time about. Uh, the Kings are an interesting spot now in the bubble because they're still, you know, somewhat in the race here. Whether likely they're going to get up here, I don't think is very likely. Uh, do you think the bubble can be a positive experience for such a young team like the Kings? Yeah, the same thing like like uh, we've been talking about. I think the, the chemistry, from especially from a young team, these guys can kind of rally around and kind of make kind of an AU setting um, where, you know, you're just hanging out with your guys. And I think it, it benefits a younger team a lot more than it does an older team um, just because, of, like I said, some of these older vets kind of get tired of each other a little bit quicker. You know, they've been here, done that. Young guys seem to kind of enjoy each other's company a little bit more, especially this this newer youth that we're kind of seeing in the NBA where, you know, a lot of these guys have played together and stuff before. Um, so I think, I think it's beneficial for a younger team to be able to spend time together, um, which hopefully will put this team in, in more of what we thought they were going to be this year and, and kind of accelerating their, their growth because – they're a good young team. They just need more time together. Um, and then uh, let's move on to, to the Rockets. I think this will spark an interesting conversation uh, considering Russell Westbrook is still recovering from COVID-19. Of course, James Harden uh, just got to the bubble a few days ago. Let's say, hopefully this isn't the case, 
But let's say the first eight games of the season, Russell Westbrook is not there. And they're now at around seven. They're, yeah, I believe they're, they're at six here, but it's, it's a tight race in the West, you know, for the eight seed and all that. Without Westbrook, let's say for those first eight games, are you concerned about them falling down the pipe a little bit, maybe to a seven seed? Do you think that could affect them if they hit the play or when they hit the playoffs? Or do you think they'll be just fine if Westbrook does miss some time? You only, I don't, I don't know if this is the point you're trying to make, but the only problem is then it then becomes, you know, when, when Westbrook comes back, ball handling duties and who, you know, if, if we get to a point where in certain points of the game, James Harden expects the ball, you know, and we get more of this older Rockets team where it was all James Harden. Um, that would be my only concern as far as, you know, this team not being able to make a step forward because I, I unless this team gets the Clippers, um, I think they win just about any series. Um, and I know I, I'm going to keep on it because I said it from the beginning of the year, it'd be a little bit hard for me to kind of go back on my words now, but I think, I think this outside of the Clippers has the best chance to advance. And I I made the point even more when they, when they traded away Clint Cabell, I think Russell Westbrook becomes more efficient, um, being able to drive the ball, which is, which is why I had this team winning the West at the beginning of the year. Um, obviously I know I'm going to get a lot of hate because the Lakers are playing really good right now. Um, but like I said, if, especially if Rondo and Avery Bradley are there, I think they're going to really have a problem if somehow, you know, they match up with the Rockets. I think the Rockets win that matchup if it's early on. Um, but what, what's the best matchup here for the Rockets? Cause I keep hearing Denver is like the perfect spot for them. Okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say something in I'll probably get a lot of flack for it not not from you but a lot of people is any team that gets Denver is going to beat them I, I I don't see I Denver to me is just one of those teams that is just like a stat monster but can never just win games that you expect them to I'm really confused with Denver and I, I guess we can also shift to Denver as well with Jokic you know actually finally being in the bubble after a pretty wild couple weeks for him um you know, Denver to me, I mean, the beginning of the year, Jokic wasn't that productive and they weren't that productive as a team. And I think it kind of lingered throughout the whole year because even once Jokic started, started kind of getting back to normal, guys like Murray weren't, still weren't that affected or, or Gary Harris wasn't that effective. Like, I don't, I don't know what to make of Denver. I, I just yeah. don't, especially in this stacked Western Conference. Like, I just don't know what to make of them at all right now. I'm still very confused. That's the team for the last couple of years. I, I can't figure out, and I just think it's supporting cast around Jokic. I know that's easy to point the blame, um, but I just feel like it's just not that good of a – like they have a lot of depth, a lot of depth and good, like solid – how do I word this? Like seven out of ten pieces. You know what I mean? Like if I'm rating each player, each one of them is like a seven. Not – None of them are like above a seven. None of them are below a seven. It's just a bunch of like good B B plus players. No A's. No no C's. You know what I mean? It's just a mid. It's a midline roster, but with a lot of depth. Um, as a Mavs fan, I'm praying that 
we can get the Nuggets and avoid the Clippers. Because um, I think if – like I said, I think if any team gets the Nuggets, I think they beat them in the first round. I just don't think there's any confidence around that Nuggets team that they can get it done. Um, we had question marks about Jokic just kind of drive at the beginning of the year, you know, wanting to be a star. It, did he kind of want to take over? I think he's he's solidified himself and, you know, kind of proved the point that he is the guy there. Um, but just the roster around him, I just feel like is just not what what we expect from a third in a pretty stacked Western Conference. Was it last year that they had the number one seed? Yes. They did not feel like a number one seed the whole year. No. Definitely not, and especially in the playoffs when you get the eight-seed Spurs who had an aging LaMarcus Aldridge as their their guy, and it was a series. You know what I mean? It went five in the first round, which, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even really want to – don't get me started on the Nuggets because that's my one team that I just hate. I just feel like there's hype around them every year because they win games. But it just never amounts to anything for me. They, they just never get it done when you expect them to get it done. Winning in the regular season is not the same thing as winning in the playoffs. It's also not the same thing as winning in the bubble. Let's be honest. This is a much different situation. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, 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 I have to look and see how it shakes up after we finish the eight games before we get into, like, all the playoff predictions or whatever. But – at this moment in time, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure about him either. Yeah, and that, that's why, to me, going back to the Rockets, I just feel like the one, the one team that's going to give him problems is the Clippers because I feel like they can match up, you know, with Harden, with uh, Kawhi, and they have Paul George. Um, but outside of that, I don't think anyone matches up with them as far as being able to keep up with the guards and play that small ball. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of teams that can play that – that small and that fast, which is why I'll go back to the initial point of, you know, if Westbrook does miss time, I wonder if we get sort of that same old, you know, James Harden of isolating basketball. Yeah, it just yeah. kind of does his thing, which is could be a little bit concerning if going into the playoffs, that's kind of your mindset, rather than where they finished the season where it was kind of a two-man show. And Westbrook was actually doing a little more in the driving addition. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. And it, I think it's going to be weird, too, if, if, let's say, it's just basically Harden with no center other than P.J. Tucker. How does that look? Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's, it's going to be quite an interesting thing. This, I mean, we'll see if he plays. Hopefully he recovers quickly and, and is able to come in the bubble quick enough to start the season or start the restart, I should say. But we'll see. Uh, finally, we'll go to the last team we'll cover for today. Uh, we'll go through some other teams next week, of course, as we're getting closer. Uh, but Kawhi says he's ready to go. Um, Kawhi and the Clippers, are you still kind of where you were at the beginning of the year, where you feel like they're the best team here, or no? Yeah. Did you say am I concerned about them? Well, are, do, you, do you feel where you were at the beginning of the year? where you kind of felt – I think most people felt that they were the best team here. Do you think yeah. they're the best team in the bubble right now? Yeah, hands down, I think this is the most talented, most complete roster. Um, small little moves like, you know, Reggie Jackson, I think really helped this team. Um, but obviously when you when you think about this team, you're thinking about the starting lineup, you know, and you've got Paul George and you've got Kawhi. To me, the, those are the best – the two best two-way players in the NBA, and you've got them on the same team. Um, 
obviously Paul George wasn't exactly healthy most of this year. He kind of did a pull the Kawhi and, you know, did some load management. Um, Kawhi usually does his thing. But to me, this team just has too much talent. It's it's not a matter of chemistry. It's just a matter of just being able to overload teams, especially I think defensively. Um, this team doesn't didn't get a lot of hype for some reason defensively. Um, we talked because about they didn't them. play enough. Kawhi and Paul George didn't play enough at all together. Yeah, I know, but like I I don't know what it's gonna take, but like people need to realize. It's just going to be what Kawhi does, and he's going to turn it on in the playoffs. I mean, he won a championship last year. He's done it with San Antonio. You know what I mean? Like, at a certain point, we just need to just realize, yeah, he's going to take games off. But there's he's one of the few guys, I think, that can just switch it on. You know what I mean? And I, I think you're going to see it again this year. I think there's going to be another level that Kawhi reaches, especially, I think, playing against Pat Beverly, you know, who takes a lot of defensive – pressure off of him, Paul George, like I mentioned. This team is just too long and good defensively for them to not be able to, like, just shut teams down completely. And towards the end of the year, we saw them, like, I forget who they played, but, like, they held a team under 80 or something, which in today's NBA is is stupid to hold a team under 80. But, you know, it just shows you that when this team wants to play defense – this that that will be their strong suit is the defense and I think Doc Rivers being the head coach is a huge asset to this team that also a lot of people don't talk about we just talk about the stars but you know the way he implements defenses and stuff like we've seen in Boston is is huge look I know this is really tight but if I'm if I'm Doc Rivers and the Clippers I'm not playing Kawhi or Paul George almost any minutes the first eight games I'm not playing them almost at all. And first off, let's be honest, this was basically an extended load management for these guys, so it was beneficial. Because let's be honest, Paul George had a lingering injury most of the year. Kawhi took games in and out, as he always does. This was basically, for the Clippers at least, an extended load management from March 20th or whatever to now. And these first eight games doesn't really matter for them even let, let's say they drop down to the five or six seed do we think any less of them if they drop down that low again there's no home field advantage here so does it really matter where you place not really as long as you're in the playoffs does it really matter I guess matchups may matter I don't think you want to play the Lakers in the first round if you're the Clippers because again Lakers Clippers is just intense and crazy no matter no matter what it's going to be I mean we'll see that in a couple of weeks but if I'm the Clippers, do do you agree that if you're Doc Rivers, you you just kind of let them play a few minutes, kind of get them conditioned, and then get them ready to go for the playoffs? Um, I'm probably looking to get a little more run. I'm probably trying to ramp it up just because I think we've, like you said, we've got kind of an extended load load management for this team. I think you like we got to sort out some of these chemistry questions. Um, not like I just said, not that I have, but I just feel like there probably is a little bit of chemistry question because these guys, like you mentioned, haven't played a lot together. So this to me is more of a ramp up. And then, you know, maybe the last game or two you sit them before you start the playoffs. But I don't think anyone in the first round is really going to give them a problem anyway type of thing. So to me, it's more of a ramp up period than it is kind of a rest period, just because I feel like you do want defensive chemistry, especially 
going in. Like I said, for this team to be able to play defensively, they have to understand, you know, at, like what dictates what matchups per se, you know, like who you get and what type type of style of play. Is Pat Beverly going to be always on the guard or are you going to, you know, put him on a bigger, like, you know, stuff like that. You have to kind of sort out. I, I don't think it'll be a problem offensively, but defensively I think this team needs to kind of get, get the basics down. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I, I, I think this team's kind of built off rest. It's kind of like they already won a title where they just kind of built off the rest. And I think, I mean, eight games, I, I don't know what it matters necessarily. I mean, you play you can play them five to ten, maybe 15 minutes, but I don't I don't think any more than that. Like, yeah, you can get, give them chemistry and spurts, but at this point, I think once they hit the playoffs, we know what Kawhi's capable in the playoffs. I think we understand that when it's playoff time, this team is going to figure out the chemistry issues rather quickly, regardless of how much these two play. Yeah. So I, I tend to agree with you. I, I just think we've seen it before. I think this team, Kawhi especially can just kind of turn it on. You know what I mean? And when he turns it on, he's, he's the best player. It's just the reason we don't talk about him as the best player is because he doesn't play in the regular season. Yeah. All right, let's go to UFC 251. Uh, first off, let me say a couple things on Fight Island. Uh, here's your Fight Island frequently frequently asked questions. Did Dana White overhype it? Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. It was overhyped by a lot. It was literally just a spot for them to keep the fighter safe. Was it still awesome to watch? Yeah, it was cool to to see all the Fight Island logos and everything, and to see how all that thing was set up. Yeah, it was cool. Did it do its job? Were fighters safe? Yes, and that's what matters. And was it the most world-class way? Is any sport going to do it better than the UFC in terms of keeping their fighters safe and keeping everyone involved safe? Nobody, not even the NBA or MLS bubble, can take, can take anything from these guys. This is the way to do a world-class event in sports or concerts or whatever. That was their original goal with this, and they completed it in a week. That was impressive. Fight Island this week. Even for the last few days, I know we had a card yesterday, which I watched bits and pieces of. That this is this is awesome. This was nice, and they accomplished what they wanted to. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I I definitely think you're right. It was a little bit overhyped, but it it made it fun. The build up, you know, the, us being able to talk about it, and like you said, the hype surrounding it was fun to talk about. Um, I I will say that. You know, like you said, it was a little bit overdone in the fact that I wanted a little bit more from it. Um, but nonetheless, it was still really efficiently done, like you touched on also with, you know, keeping athletes safe and stuff like that. But the marketing for it also, I think, was really efficient. Um, now, I don't I don't know if you want to dive right into it, but I had a problem with the main event. <laughs> You had a problem with the main event. Let's go. Let's go down the list here a bit, and let's get to the big, the big stories at the end. Okay. Okay. Um, sure. Volkan Ozdemir. That was a pretty fun fight, but uh, I think we're expecting him to win at that point. Um, mm-hmm. Paige Van Zant. Is is she done with fighting now, or do you think she's going to Bellator? Yeah. Because I I'm uh, in a strange spot. Like, do you think? That's why I'm kind of squinting a little bit. But like, do you think she? <laughs> do you think she's? completely done with fighting or do you think uh do you think one of our favorite fighters to watch is uh is done um 
I mean, I think she probably ends up going somewhere else. I would like her to just hang it up because I think, I think she's been, you know, how do I say this? It's, it's just a little bit overhype with her. You know what I mean? There's a lot of surrounding things with her, but the fighting never really lives up to its bill. Obviously, like you're talking about her leaving, we've heard Dana at, at the press conference, you know, say, you know, it's, it's time for her to look for somewhere else. Cause she, she does do quite a bit of like contract talking and stuff for not really ever like performing that great. Um, so it's probably time for her to look elsewhere. If she does want to continue fighting, I would probably rather just like have it be over. <laughs> um, I don't know how you feel about it. She's not, she's not a bad fighter. It's just not. I'm a Van Zant fan. If there's any fighter in the world I want to interview, it's Paige Van Zant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's just so awesome in so many ways. And, and I loved her book, obviously. I'm just a huge fan of hers. So the last year or two, as a diehard fan of her, it's been hard to watch. Yeah. It's been, it's just been difficult. But at the same time, you have to understand, and Megan Anderson talked about this on her show uh, the other day, and I was listening, I was listening to her kind of speak on it as well, where it's like, you know, she makes more money off the cage than on it. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a company again. I keep saying Bellator because I think if there's any way she's going to go, her her husband's already in Bellator. If there's any place where she's going to go and be welcomed in right away, I think it's Scott Coker and Bellator. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, and I think Bellator would give her a lot of money. But at the same token, I I I, I am starting to feel like it, it's better for her to turn into more of a celebrity voice than anything else because I'm I'm just not sure what technical skills are there. And I and I thought flyweight would give her a shot to actually do something. It 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 honestly unfortunately made it worse and made me feel less confident about her fighting skill moving forward, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't I don't mean to kind of chuckle there towards the end, but it was a little disappointing. Um she's I just think over the last like you said, the last couple of fights, she's she's been dominated pretty well by I don't want to take anything away from the people she's, you know, fighting, but pretty low class. It's not like she's like fighting like world-class fighters, you know? Yeah. I don't like, like I said, I don't want to take anything away, but it's just, she's been dominated by lower end, lower yeah. tier. And so it's, to me, you're, I'm with you. It's probably more time to just transition to being, like you said, a celebrity voice rather than. Yeah. It, it's tough. Cause again, I love Paige, but man, it's been rough. It's been yeah. hard. So uh, I, I think we can see it on Dana's face too. He, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of done with it. He, yeah. we, we it it's just more sad. Enthusiasm from him earlier on, but I think he's, it's, it's tailored just, off for him too. It's just sad for me, man. Like the whole thing just feels sad. And I, I don't know if it's just because I, I think it's because I'm just a huge fan of hers, but it's, it's it's just it hurts it 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 just hurts to watch her fight because you get excited and you're like okay she can finally kind of turn the page and it just hasn't happened unfortunately yeah and then amanda he boss let's, let's turn to her really quick honestly i think she's she's gonna find her way in a contender spot quick uh she was by the way <laughs> her interview not only like her her interview outside the cage but also her excitement last night uh, watching the fights backstage. 
Um, she is really fun to watch. This is a really fun fight on her end. I think she has a shot to be a contender in a flyweight division that I think needs more contenders. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I I think we need a little bit more personality, especially, you know, in that division, that in the women's ranking. And I think that she was like, but obviously like you touched on quite a character um, in, in the com- the press conference and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I think she's exciting. I don't, I don't know that I necessarily put too much weight, kind of like I said, um, on that fight in particular, just because I don't know what to expect from Paige Van Zandt as far as fighting goes anymore. But I, I think she's got the right personality to be able to kind of market, you know, like, like you said, that flyweight division and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, we could, we could go either way with that. I, I'd probably like to see one more, like, test per se before I give her like a real good shot at something but yeah I don't, I don't know with like I said I don't want to put too much weight on that one fight yeah uh and then let's go to Rose Namajunas versus Jessica Andrade uh I didn't have too much of a problem with the decision itself it was a really close fight these two always fight a really fun fight um but for Namajunas um her going up to fight uh, Zayn Lee. Do you do you think uh, do you think that fight's really interesting for you for the strawweight title and maybe Rose getting her getting her strap from uh, Wei Lee? Um, to be honest, I know I'm in the minority on this one, but I I didn't. I I don't know if I want to say this because I know I'm gonna get some some crap from you for this one, but I don't know if Rose won that fight. So I'm, I, I have I, a tough time picking it. Like I, I wasn't too sure about it. So I was, I was okay with the decision. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think Rose going up and, and fighting Whaley, I think, I think she's going to get handled pretty well. You know, I, I don't know that Rose is, I'm not sold on Rose yet. Let me just put it that way. I'm not, I'm not there with her yet. Yeah. You're not at that spot. Yeah, I can understand that. I feel like the division is a little weird uh, uh, once Wei Li won the title because I felt like uh, I, I, it, just, it just made the division really strange for me where I just don't know what the direction is going to be. I feel like it's just going to keep switching hands constantly. And there's not going to be one person really leading the way moving forward. Yeah, but I think, I think that's actually good for this, this women's weight class. I think it's better for a little more intrigue rather than one dominant fighter. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I guess, because I guess you can make the, the argument with the flyways that that's been the biggest issue. So, yeah. But I don't know. If there's only like three or four contenders, um, I think it's going to be weird just to see it switch hands between all four of them. And I'm not sure how long it's going to take before the division really gets resolved, I guess. Yeah. Is where I'm at with that. Uh, Peter, Jan, and Jose Aldo, what was your perspective on this fight? Um,. I think Peter Young's going to be a real problem in this division for a, a long time. Yeah. I, I think he pretty much handled this fight. Um, I, I don't want to sound because I know I've always kind of said I want the fights to go, but I thought this fight should have been stopped a little bit earlier than it did. Yeah. I think um, I'm right w- with you there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> I don't want to bring up the reps too early, but that was my first kind of, yeah, the ref was pretty bad for this fight. The yeah. problem 
I had a few problems with this card, but that was kind of my first one that I really was like kind of disturbed by because I thought Jose Aldo was getting beat up pretty bad there towards the end. But um, yeah, like I said, I think this is more about Peter Yan and, and the dominance that he kind of showed. Um, really overwhelming, you know, an aging Jose Aldo, but still, you know, effective. He's not that washed up just yet. So I don't want to like take anything away from him, but like I said, the dominance, it, it was pretty evident that, you know, he, he overwhelmed him pretty much the whole fight. So, um, And then let's talk about Henry Cejudo as well. Oh, God, don't get me started. Did you see his tweets during the fight? Yeah, that's why I wanted to bring him up. Uh, do you, uh, honestly, let, let's, let, let's preface this for a second. Is Henry Cejudo in the GOAT conversation at all right now at this moment? No. I don't even... <sighs> I don't want to just get on and just start ripping him, but I think it was you who brought it to my attention that, like, you don't just get to have one, like, pretty much one or two title defenses and just label yourself the go. I don't even know where this type of, like energy comes from well hang on hang on here's the whole thing you're missing one important point you know why he he says he's the goat because he won those olympic gold medals i don't know how that translates but we're in the ufc now like we're talking about ufc goat like this doesn't mma goat basically you you don't get to take you don't get to take over your previous accomplishments and label it as your current accomplishments like that's not how life works like i can't uh, uh, i don't even know how to like explain it like trust me i'm frustrated too i was a dean of students in middle school okay hire like give me a job like no i'm i'm (laughs) i'm the go of you know uh i I don't even know how to explain it it's just that guy gets like hits me right here in the chest. Like that guy just unnerves me so bad. And then for him to say like, yeah, it was a good fight or whatever, but I would wreck Peter Yan. Like, okay, then, then come fight him. Like, I just feel like he's, he got out of the division right when Peter Yan was coming up. Like, I don't, I can't prove this obviously, but I just feel like it was a big duck. Like it was just like okay, I'm I'm the double champ. I'm I'm leaving. You like, literally said you won't have to hear from me anymore. I'm the goat. Which again, as I think we both agree, I don't know how to count those Olympic gold medals or quantify it. You seem to not even care about it necessarily. No, I don't. Yo, Yo Romero's an Olympic medalist too. Do we label him the goat? Well, I think he got the silver. But still, he- <laughs> he's in a so just be okay. I understand it's not gold, but. Okay, does that make him second goat because he he has a silver like no, this is not what this is. You don't get to label yourself especially when you just you get a double and then you just say I'm done. You didn't even defend it. Like you didn't fight anyone. You just said okay, I'm done. Like no, you have to defend it. You have to show that like you cannot be beaten for a long stretch of time. Like what even what even even did he finish with his MMA record, like in the UFC? Like, do we? I don't know? remember. 
I don't. Yeah, I remember. It's not a lot of fights. I know that. Okay, so for him to be like, I'm the goat. If if we're gonna go into that conversation, then just because he has two belts, or is is he really saying that just because of the Olympic gold medals? Is that yeah. literally, or is because, he is because, saying it because he's the double champ? Because he's the double champ and the gold medals. But the, but first off. Can we can we at least admit that that Demetrius Johnson fight, that first big fight, or I guess second big fight that he had when he beat Demetrius Johnson, can we at least admit that there was a good portion of the population that felt of like MMA fans who felt that he Demetrius Johnson won the fight? Yes, that Henry Cejudo lost, including yeah. me. I, I'm in that. I'm in that I, boat. That's I, why I, I, I agree I with you too. I can't even like comprehend. To me, it's just another, like, another grab at, like, I need to be a bigger star than I am. You know what I, you know what I mean? It's just another one of those guys who just needs to be in the spotlight, and he just will run his mouth as much as he can just to be in the spotlight. And then, like, like the like whole wrestling thing, it too. It wasn't just, like, a small minority. I feel like the majority of people thought DJ won that fight. So yeah. for So for there to even be controversy about it, and then for you to not even defend, you know, a double belt, and then for you to bring in the argument that you have Olympic gold medal, I I don't know. The whole thing to me is just wishy-washy. And then, like you said, for him to start mouthing up, or like I said, for him to start tweeting at Peter Yan after the fight, especially when, like you said, he said, you'll never have to hear from me again. Okay, I thought that was like a mic drop moment. Like, why do we... Like, Let's just see you, you in wrestling keep, or something. Why do you need to keep making yourself feel like relevant? Like if you feel like you're the goat, you don't need to back it up. Like the people and other things will let that speak. You know what yeah. I mean? You don't have to keep trying to make yourself relevant when no one's talking about him anymore. Like, is like he, we're, is, we're moved on. Like, is he frustrated at the fact that he's not even being considered? Like, honestly, when we're talking about the goat conversation, how many times do we have discussions about MMA and we mention Henry Cejudo in that discussion? Zero. I don't think we've ever mentioned it. Zero. We will never. Because like I said, for you to be considered the GOAT, look at DJ's run. Yes, look 11. Look at the of excellence he had. Oh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to my uh, waiter. I, I actually watched these fights at, at Boston's restaurant in Mill Creek. And my yes. waiter was DJ's training partner. Oh my God, or Yes. So yes, that I guess props that made me even a little bit more frustrated because seeing this guy's frustration with Henry Cejudo was like even more added fuel to the fire. Clap so, it up, man! Clap it up! Yeah. <laughs> Clap it up! DJ DJ's run of excellence was like stupid, like stupid long and stupid dominant. So I, I, Cejudo I think- wants that type of recognition. Go go fight some more, and then then you can be in the conversation. Like, you can be, have a seat at the table. Like, I'm, I'm not so- even going to consider you for it yet to even, like, have a spot at the table. It's just not. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Look, if he wants to be considered the GOAT, he has to defend the belt multiple times. He's already got the double champ thing. The gold medal, sure. I- I'm fine. I don't know how to quantify it, but it's there. Fine. And then go to one and, and, and fight Demetrius Johnson. Let's be honest. He's killing it in one even now. Like yeah. one won that trade. Let's not let's not let's not beat around the bush. hundred percent. One won that trade and and his career trajectory, even at one, which I mean, unfortunately, 
for even us as MMA fans, we don't talk about Demetrius Johnson and what he's doing at one even now or what he's even done at the UFC, but he's in the GOAT conversation not only from what he's done at the UFC, but also at one as well. Let's be honest. Yeah, he's continuing his run of excellence. Um, one thing I actually found out was the owner of one is actually a, a local uh, a local guy from here too. That's why DJ originally went over there is because it's his, his old coach. Interesting. That was a, that was a big a reason why he he went to one, which obviously was a little bit sad for us to see as as fans, because I felt like him and UFC just fit a little bit better because you have to wake up at five a.m. to watch you know a one fight or whatever. So yeah, it, it it's a whole nother conversation. Um, but yeah, he he's continuing his run, and I I just feel like that one questionable at best lost you know, doesn't take away everything that he's done before that. Yeah. Like, there was no one that could touch him in that division. You know what I mean? Like, there wasn't even controversy. Like, it was just like, he's going to win every fight. Like, And he's going to win in incredible fashion, too. I mean, he's had some incredible fights in that division. Anyway, Cejudo needs to just take a backseat for a while. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'd like to see him fight Peter Yan. I think it would be a lot of fun. But again, as Dana said, I, even to be honest, I think he'd get killed. <laughs> I no, think Peter Peter Yan is like Peter Yan's good. He's the next big no, I think he's like the he's gonna be a problem for a while. Like he's dominant. Like yeah, I don't know. I feel like Cejudo would give him a good shot. But let, let's let's be completely honest about this. As Dana talked about, even with Connor last month, if, if you're gonna say you're gonna retire. Like, you're not GSP where you can just come back and get ready to go. Like, he's – I'm sorry. He's retired. Like, stop. Yeah. Stop. Um, and then Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. So, before we get – Robbery. Into, well, Robbery. Hang, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, my gosh. I thought this fight was close. I thought that Holloway won. But I don't think this is something that you and I have ever talked about, and I think it's important because we, we saw two split decisions on this main card. We have to have a discussion about what are we talking about between unanimous decision and split decision? Because let's be honest, while I agree with you and I thought Max Holloway won, it was still a very close fight and it was a split decision. Is it, is it that much of a problem to you? Like if it was a unanimous decision, I think we would be all up in arms. But the fact that it was a split decision, does that alleviate your frustration a little bit? Like, how do we differentiate this? Because I think that's been a big problem is we're not differentiating the fact that it was a split decision where it was really, really close to a unanimous decision where it was just Max Holloway definitely being the better fighter throughout. You can make an argument that Volkanovski won and I wouldn't have been mad. I don't know. I feel like... I feel like it just takes some of the heat off of the judges. You know what I mean? If it's split, um, I, 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 I don't know. To me, this fight wasn't that close. I just felt like they gave way too much credit to like the one or two takedowns Volkanovski had. Oh, uh, that's what I did too. But I think knocked out. I think that matters a lot to the judges. You can take a guy down and keep him down there for a few minutes. I think it means more in this type of fight where it was, you know, it wasn't like a dominant, a dominant stretch in this fight. I think it, it holds more weight, 
But to me, it was like cl- it was like clear as day that Max won the first three rounds. Like clear as day, like no like no question. So just by that logic, like I don't care if he has a takedown in the fifth round. You know, like it doesn't doesn't matter. He already won the first three rounds. Like unless Max gets knocked out or you know had gets submitted, like there's no debate. Like you can't outweigh a guy winning three rounds and and just say, yeah, he he had a couple takedowns towards the end of the fight, so that outweighs maybe a round where it was close. That doesn't yeah. outweigh it to me. If he wins the round, he wins the round. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and to me, there was just no argument for Volkanovski winning any of those first two rounds. Like, yeah, you can say it's close. But I like, thought the first three rounds were close. I still thought Holloway won the first three rounds, but I still I mean. thought it was close. That's what I mean, though. Like, you can say it's close. That's fine. But you still, when Holloway wins three rounds, just because it's close doesn't mean the takedown means more. He still won the three rounds. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I guess, yeah. It's still winning the three rounds regardless of how close it is, which is, mm-hmm. I think, needs to be more of the focus is – regardless of how close it is if he wins a round he wins a round like but you're, but you're you're winning more of the fight than the other guy is but let's also be honest here and recognize that for it to be a split decision which it was some of the judges had to give one of those three rounds to volkanovsky so is that where your frustration lies about probably more so the fact that there are some judges who did feel that volkanovsky won considering how close those first three rounds were you mean as far as, like, well, if obviously we, one of the judges scoring one of those first three rounds? Yeah, because like I feel... In Volkanovski's favor? Yeah, because I think the only way for it to be a split decision and for Volkanovski to win was for one of those judges to give Volkanovski one of those first three rounds more yeah. so than the takedowns itself. Yeah, so that's great. I feel like it was more more based on the fact that he was the champ. So if it's a little bit close, maybe we lean towards the champ's way, which I feel like we didn't get with the first fight. I feel like that one, Max won some rounds that he didn't get. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel like being the champ, I think there should be a little bit of, you know, if it's really close, maybe we lean the champ's way. Now, whether that's right or wrong is, you know, a separate topic, but I feel like if it is really close and you really are like borderline deciding, you should lean the champ's way. Okay. Which we didn't get with the first fight. Mm -hmm. I I don't think. Okay. So the only way to me that you could judge one of those first three rounds in Volkanovsky's favor is if you were saying, well, he's the champ. Like let's, let's, if it's really, really tight and I'm 50, 50, then we have to go, you know, one way rather than saying, like, you know, let's give it to Hallway. He's not the champ. Like, let's have a new champ, which is, I feel like, where a lot of the stigma of, like, I don't know, favoritism comes from, you know, where, like, we, we tend to lean towards the champ's way. We tend to, which is my beef with this whole, both these fights, is because Max didn't get it, I don't feel like, in the first round, or in the first fight, excuse me. And I felt like Volkanovski got it this time. Because I think the point here is not necessarily the takedowns in the last two rounds. I think we can both agree that Volkanovski won the fourth and the fifth. But 
in terms of the first three, I felt that Holloway won, but I felt it was close. And I felt there was a case that one of the, the few of the judges, or I, I guess one of them made the decision to say Volkanovski won one of those first few rounds or the first three. And that's where I think the problem is. The problem is not necessarily the last two rounds. It's what happened in those first three and how the judges scored those first three rounds that really kind of set, set a fire along this fight for a lot of people. Yeah. I, that, that's just what I mean, though. I just feel like unanimously we all, like UFC fans as a whole, or anyone who watched this fight as a whole, really probably thought it was like, I would guess like 95% of people thought that Max won the first three rounds, which no. is why, which is why it's frustrating because like, it wasn't like, it was like really, I don't think it was like really debatable amongst a lot of people, the first three rounds at least. So, and then you have Dana come out and saying, you know, like, I really am questioning what those refs were like. The judges. The judges were thinking. You know what I mean? Like, even Dana's coming out and saying it. Like, and Dana never does that. So it's No, like, he does do that. He does. Even Stop. adds more, like, like problems with, I but don't know. Even with that, I felt, I felt a little weirded out by that because I was like, and this is probably some of my, my weird thought process about unanimous versus split and how we quantify it. But even when he came out and said, and questioned, I was like, you do realize that it was a split decision. That, that was kind of part of my issue. Not saying that I disagree. I agree that Max should have won. I agree that Max won the first three rounds. I totally 100% agree. But again, I still preference this by saying those first three rounds were still quite close. So because it was a split decision, I thought it was a little strange. Because I know, but that, that type of logic is why I feel like it gets in trouble, though. Because I feel like you're, you're almost just like – allowing these sort of things to happen if you're not nipping it in the butt and saying like listen regardless of it being close or not like like i said like 95 percent of people like it wasn't like like 60 and 40 it was like nine like almost consensus like people everyone watching thought Mm -hmm. so like yeah it's split but like that's taken away from the bigger the bigger issue like, I just feel like that type of argument just allows this to kind of slip under the rug when we should be, like, wondering, like, okay, how can you score one of those first three rounds in mm-hmm. Volkanovski's favor? Like, where where's the logic behind that, which is what we should be asking. You know what that, I mean? I think this also brings up a wider discussion, of course, as we've always had about the judges and how many judges should be there. And it's mm-hmm. it brings up that bigger discussion. Now, let's move on to the main event. Usman and Masvidal, to be honest, you were right on the money with this fight. You're, you're basically right on it uh, where, with Usman basically dominating. Uh, you said you had a problem with this fight. What was your issue? Um, uh, I, I, another kind of hot take. I just feel like Usman isn't really a dominant champ to me. Like, yeah, he controlled this fight, like, through and through. Like, don't get me wrong. He absolutely, like, dominated this fight. But I just feel like it was sort of like he he's just outsmarting guys. And that that's kind of what bothers me about him is he's not, like, 
he's not like a dominant fighter where like he's gonna come in and knock you out or like just wrap you up you know he just takes what your weakness is and don't get me wrong like I don't want to sound like I'm just putting him down because he's a good fighter but like the little stuff like him stomping on Masvidal's feet like half the fight is just a little bit like bush league to me I understand he's trying to get you know advantages and points where he can because he has to do that so that way the ref doesn't break him up because he's more or less he was leaning on Masvidal a lot of the fight, which is why I would have liked to see it broken up, um, which is also probably another debatable topic for most people because, you know, he is controlling him. But I just want to see a little more of a fight. I don't want to see him just holding on for most of the fight. And like I said, don't get me wrong, he's controlling the fight. But it's not like we're getting a really good fight. You know what I mean? It's a little bit frustrating to watch. Um, I will say he, he knows how to pick his spots because with Covington, he stayed up on the on his feet, which by all accounts, I think Colby Covington is a much better wrestler than Usman. So he, he understands weaknesses and stuff like that, and he's, he's fighting to his advantage. But it's just a little bit tiresome to watch sometimes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like – like I said, him stomping on a guy's feet just so it looks like he's doing something so that way he can just control. And he is controlling the fight. He's, he's controlling, you know, the pace and everything. He's, he's on top. You know, he's, he's winning the fight. It's just not – it's not what I want to see from a champ. I want to see a champ come out and kind of impose his style on someone else rather than just picking apart someone else's weaknesses. See, I, I have to differ with you on this. Because I, 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 it, it goes away from what the sport is from a technical perspective. The, the reality is, and, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, uh, Trevor Whitman and his, and his uh, team, especially for the Rose fight in particular, was really fun to listen to, but even for, for this fight for Usman. The, the reality of the matter is how many fights – I mean – to, I, to be honest, like if you watch the UFC as heavy as we do, we understand that, that a fight similar to, to Usman and Masvidal actually happens more often in, in women's divisions. Would, would you agree with me on that? Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, fair. I, I mean, and that's, that's obvious. That's, I'm just making a point just to say that it does happen more in the women's divisions. It's not anything in particular. It's just sort of an observation. Yeah. But as a, but looking at, looking at the way we view main events compared to a prelim card or whatever, I mean, how many fights a year, men's and women's combined, have fights similar to that one? It happens a lot. Yeah, a lot. So then, then I just, I don't, I don't under, like, I don't understand. Yes, it's maybe not the most funnest thing in the world to watch when you're, you know, watching a pay-per-view and it's a main event and it's a big fight and you want you want to see fireworks I, I get it but at the same time it, it goes away from the the things that I think we really appreciate about the sport yes that might not be the most amazing thing to watch necessarily but for us who who understand the ins and outs of the sport this is just sort of part of the game and the technical then what you're doing if you're complaining about this fight is appreciating the less tech or not appreciating the technical aspects of what makes a fight a fight and you just want to see fireworks every fight 
that's just unrealistic, and that's not what the sport of MMA is. No, I maybe I'm not like wording this right. It's not that I want to see like fireworks and stuff every time. Um, if he wants to get down and wrestle, you know, by all by all means, I'm I have no problem watching you know wrestling. But when he's not even getting you know like that many, I didn't. Yeah, he had a couple takedowns, but more or less he was getting one takedown and then laying for like. 510 you know not 510 like a couple minutes you know what i mean it felt like 10 minutes um but like i just like i said i want the champ to get in and dictate and impose his style of fighting which i feel like usman doesn't do he just looks at the opponent of who he's fighting and you know says like oh he's not good at doing this so we're gonna do this rather than him pushing the pace and being like this is what i want to do you know what I mean? Because I feel like when you're the champ, I, I want a certain type of, like, confidence in there, which I feel like he doesn't portray. I feel like he's he's a little bit more lax and he's a little bit more – it's not that he's technical because I have no problem with that, but he's just – and don't get me wrong. Like I said, I was watching the fight, and as frustrated as I was with how it was going, I would have liked to seen it been broken up a few times so we could get, you know, a little bit more – action i don't want it to sound like i'm saying like i need them standing up the whole time or i need something to be happening all the time because i understand like you said the the technical ability of some of these guys some sometimes that's what makes a fight a fight but i just feel like from a champ there should be a little bit more urgency i feel like he should be looking to win the fight rather than just coast through fights which i feel like with usman we get more or less raw Outside of the Covington fight. That was the first one I really seen him open up in, like, fight. Not that just because it was standing up, but I felt like he was pressing a little bit more than he did in this fight. I feel like this fight, he was just – he knew he could, you know, handle him and control on the ground, so that's all he was looking to do, which, which was my problem from the beginning. Like I told you, I knew he was going to do because Masvidal, by no accounts, is a great wrestler. So I knew – a lot of steam had been taken away when Gilbert Ferns, Gilbert Burns, you know, tested positive. I knew a lot of steam of this fight had been taken away just because of the technical and grappling abilities of, you know, from Masvidal to Burns. Do, do you feel, so, so firstly, do you feel that it's because of how short notice it was that Trevor Whitman and his team with Camaro said, in this specific instance, let's just focus on what we know our strength is to his weaknesses because it was such a short notice fight. Do you think if they had a full camp, the fight would have been a lot different or no? No, I think, I think just with these fighters, I think like I keep saying what Usman and his camp and his camp do is they, they really understand, you know, like what the opposing fighters strengths are and what, Usman's weaknesses and more or less that's that's been him you know like standing up and fighting but I also think they understand Jorge Masvidal is like has lethal power you know what I mean like we've seen it in and out so if you get him in a clinch and you can eliminate the space and you can keep it on the ground it's just neutralizing instead of like I said him attacking he's just neutralizing what the other guy does best and which is what he did with Colby Covington, too, which I felt like was a little bit frustrating. Covington went for a couple of takedowns in the fight. Not a lot, but he, you know, 
Usman did a good job of with his takedown defense. So he's just – I feel like he's just neutralizing, which is my – I keep saying it, but it's my biggest point is he's not implementing any style that he wants to do or he's really doing – he's just neutralizing what the other guy does best. Um, now, to this fight in particular, I think – with a long, long camp, short camp, whatever, I think they understand, like I said, the, the lethal ability of Jorge Masvidal, uh, striking ability. So I think, you know, it's smart from his camp, as frustrating as it is, it's really smart from his team and him to be able to understand those things. But no matter how long the time was, I think this would have been the strategy no matter what. I think it was um, probably a little bit easier for him to do this than like with Gilbert Burns where he would have had to prepare a little bit more on his feet. So I think, I think this is a little bit easier for him to do because he is a, he's very well conditioned and a very good, like I said, he, he controls fights well if he's on the ground. So I think this is easier for him on a short camp, a short notice to be able to do rather than, you know, stand up and fight. Do you want to see this fight again under a full no. camp or no? No. It, it, I just know these two style fighters don't match up. It just... We've, like you said, we've seen it so many times in UFC, women's, men's, whatever, where we get these these different, completely different style of fighters and we get these type of fights where it's just, it's not a main event. You know what I mean? It's good to decide who's going to be third and fourth in the division, but not for a main event. All right. Uh, and then a small about culture thing that I wanted to discuss this is particularly focused on on sports games. And I want to focus on sports games in particular with this. But for PS5 and Xbox Series X for NBA 2K21, the price is $10 more. It's $70 for the game. Um, I don't know if this is something that will happen consistently throughout all games. I don't imagine it will be. And I, I wonder in specific why they're priced at 70 bucks. Maybe because you also get the current gen game when you buy the next gen game as well. Um, but but where do you go in terms of where's your thought process in terms of 2k and 2k21 pricing in at $70 instead of 60 and where do you sort of draw the line with that piece? Um, this is something you and me have talked about a lot. Um, I feel like 2k, especially Madden two, um, just know they have a certain market that people are just going to continue to buy the game. And I've fallen into this trap a couple of times where it's just like, I'm not going to buy it. It's the same game every year, kind of like we've always talked about. And next thing you know, I'm at GameStop or whatever, buying the game. It's just, I think they understand that they have this certain kind of pull and certain kind of gravity almost that they can raise it 10 bucks. Um, obviously, for like you and me and stuff, it's, it's frustrating when they're constantly raising prices. I mean, 60s high for a game anyway, you know, 70s. It's it's getting to the point where they're just gonna keep boosting up, and it's gonna get to the point where it's just stupid, you know, to pay that much for a video game. I mean, I know it's probably something more you can speak on because I know you like to. It's probably smarter that you wait for these games, a lot of these games, to go, you know, a little bit more on sale before you pay like this seventy dollars. It's just I just feel like two K and these these like a lot of guys joke about it. You know what I mean? Like I said, like, I'm, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to buy it. And then all of a sudden it comes out and everyone buys it. They just, they have a certain gravity to them that I can't really explain. Maybe you can, you know, 
elaborate on that piece because I don't really know how to put it into words. It's the the pull that these type of games have for. for so, people. two things that I've thought about. I mean, this is um, we're kind of coming on this a little bit late, but I was thinking about this over the last few days. So, firstly, UFC four um, was just announced over the weekend before the fights, and it looks really good. I got the beta this week. I tried it out. It looks like a really fun game. And every time UFC comes out, I always think about the same thing. And obviously, this is the last game. This is the last UFC game before they have to potentially renew the contract with EA. We know how UFC is with their rights deal, so we don't know if EA is going to get the rights. They most likely will, um, but we'll find out. It, every time UFC comes out, keep in mind, it's a two-year cycle. They don't do it every year. This is a two-year thing. Every two years, they get a new game out. Maybe at times three, but I think it's mostly two, if I remember correctly, from the beginning of this generation. That is a better system. Because to me, UFC every year, at least when I play, I normally play the beta, and then by the middle of the year, they give like free trials before big fights or whatever. And every time I play it, I'm always really impressed by how the game is developed and and how they listen to feedback like ultimate teams aren't in the game anymore it was terrible at ufc3 um they got rid of it so they listen to feedback more and the fact that it's a two-year life cycle and i thought about okay what if 2k is on this two-year cycle what if madden's on this two-year cycle and and that's part of the it's an extension of the issue it's like yeah people buy it every year but i think it would be better if it was every two years and I always think about that every time UFC comes out, where it's like there's a reason why they don't do a yearly cycle for this game compared yeah, to other games. You're, you're probably right. I mean, it, it just allows more time, like you said, to get feedback on the game. But I think it also – I think it would – it obviously eliminates that, like, like I'm talking about, like that want of just to get the new one every year, or rather than, like, it, it, it gives them more time to develop it. You know what I mean? It allows for more change rather than like, they're like, Oh, we only have however much time till, you know, we have to update it or whatever. So it's just like constantly putting out the same game. It's just, it just allows more time for them to be able to, like you said, get feedback, adjust different settings in the game, stuff like that, which is the biggest problem we have with games like 2k. Mm -hmm. And then like the $70 price point, it's like, this is a. This is also why I I I I I'm trying to figure out if this is something consistent because if it is, I think it's a bit of a problem. But for this year in specific, let's say for instance, you pick up a PS5 or Xbox Series X in November or December when it will most likely launch. So you pick that up. Let's say I don't know five hundred dollars. Let's just so let's just we don't know the exact price point. We've heard rumors for the PS5. Let's say five hundred dollars. Yeah. Then on top of that, you get 2K. There's another 70. Now, granted, you get both copies of the game. And granted, if you want to get Madden, FIFA, and you bought it at launch, you don't have to buy another copy of the, of the game for next gen. You get it for free. Fine. So that does alleviate some of it. But if you're buying 2K or like other games like that, like that price point just goes up and up and up more than likely. Right, yeah. depending if you're only a sports game guy or not, you might be spending about let's say five hundred some. And then let's not forget tax is crazy. So the tax on the entire thing 
is going to be ridiculous anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's a strange year to even do this, to consider doing this because it's like, okay, why, why, I mean, I get why 2k doesn't want, doesn't want to do the whole, uh, upgrade for free thing. Cause we know 2k when they, when they launch these new console games for next gen, they make it insane. Mm-hmm. But then every year after, it's it's not the same, right? The yeah. first game always shows a lot of promise, and then it kind of slows down. And that was the case for this generation. It's it's gone to a point where it's like, okay, well, then how willing are you to spend sixty bucks a year? How willing are you to go through the frustration of it, and maybe even seventy? How far is too far, basically? And I, I mean, that's that's something for an individual consumer to decide. But it's like it's different this is such a different thing than the last of us where you can make an argument. Yeah, you should get that because it's not, it's, it's comes every like what twice a generation. It's, it's not a yearly thing. You can make a substantial argument that that 60 bucks or 70 bucks or however you're pen, you're spending, depending if you're pre-ordering or not makes sense. Yeah. But that, I, think that, I get that's the most valid point that you're making is, if it's on a two-year cycle, games like 2K and stuff, I think more than willing, people are willing to spend that. But when you're doing it every year and it's the same game, it's the the validity is lost. You know, it's it's like why why keep doing that? Which is why I think if it's gonna keep being on a yearly cycle, like you're mentioning, it gets to the point where it's not. I think we're almost at that point where it's not worth it. If it keep, you know, if it, if we were to jump up another ten, you know, in a year or two, it would be like what? No, I'm not paying eighty. You know, like yeah. there's always going to be those people that will justify it, but I think you're going to start to see a drop off. Like you said, it's going to keep going up and up and up. Yeah. And, and I wonder from, from their perspective as a company, take two and everything, if their perspective is to do this, you know, $70, see how many people pay it. Obviously there is, and this is something the developers have talked about that I've listened to where it's like, there is a drop off with next gen. You're not going to sell as well as the current gen. It's just how it works because not a lot of people buy it right off the gate, whatever. But moving forward, if that's the case and $70 and they still get good numbers, because again, as you talked about, it's a niche market. Mm -hmm. What's going to stop them from doing another 10 and then another 10. And then how much, how much, if you want to get the pre-order bonus, like the Mamba edition, that's a hundred bucks. Imagine if that was 120. Yeah. You, like, and, and, and let's not forget 2K in particular is really bizarre because you're not, let's say for instance, you get the next gen game and you're spending 70 and you didn't get the current gen game. You have to spend another a hundred on top of that just to get a solid experience. If you're playing, my player, my or my career, my park, whatever. You still have to spend another hundred on top of that. Yeah, that's my problem. The added in-game fees that a lot of these games have now too. And and I think you put a really a really good point on it. It's not uh, for for I don't think this is the case for Madden or FIFA as much, but at mm-hmm. least for two K, at least for NBA two K, it is a fee. Like you, I'm honest. Like playing my career on two K without paying a single dime is frustrating at best. Yeah. It's just a worse experience. It is. It, that, that to me, you're already charging, you know, a lot for the game. And then you're going to say, well, if you want to be good in the game, you know, you're going to have to pay more. Like, like you said, it's just, 
I mean, you can always go the route of like you, you've talked about at least in man, you know, we're like really like going grind, grind mode. Yeah. Ultimate team, you know, like, but there's a lot of people that don't want to spend like that much like time, you know, like it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, frustration. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like I've heard you talk about it. Yeah. Like the frustration that comes along with like, trying to build like what you want the game to be and you, you just paid $60 for it or know? in this case 20 or 30 because I mean I, again I try my best not to get games at launch anymore yeah, not, yeah. not you in particular I'm just saying like a random general, person a random kid yeah. who buys it for 60 bucks yeah and then just grinds the whole he year logs on and he thinks he's gonna be able to play like you know like a decent team you know and stuff and he's like no it's not happening you're gonna either pay more money or grind it out. Yeah. Grind it out. And then let's keep in mind also with Madden. And, and I mean, you and I've had the same frustration with all of these games in general, with the free stuff, with the franchise modes, FIFA's mm-hmm. had their issues with career mode, which I'm sure you can speak more on, but of course the hashtag fixed Madden franchise, I'm sure you saw it a couple of weeks ago, like because of all these paid modes. Now that these franchise modes that we all love and honestly, let's be honest, kind of play the game for, because after a while, Ultimate Team can get really stale. Yeah. It, it can get really frustrating. Yeah, definitely. I think they're they're losing some of what, like, makes the game the game and, and trying to more market it and make more money off of the game. Yeah. It's, I mean, if, uh, I mean, obviously with Madden's perspective, the fact is, I've seen I've seen some leaked screenshots of Madden 21 in the franchise mode. It's the same thing. I don't know how much they're going to change in a month. Let's be honest, it's not going to be too much. I hope that there's something there down the road that expands it. But and an Ultimate Team last like I I loved Ultimate Team in 17. I played it a bunch. I think or was it 18? Either way, and then I skipped 19, and then I got back on 20, and I played it for a few months. I've basically finished ultimate team like i got tired of just doing souls the whole time and then and then really exploring franchise mode like i get some people like it but you really have to put a lot of effort in to to like ultimate team we got to put sliders in i know for me i have to do draft classes if i want to do rebuilds to really enjoy it and even that can get stale at times so for me with madden at least and i know we can both speak on my league they put more in my gm which let's be honest no one plays my gm at all everyone plays my league it's just, and my league doesn't get enough love anyway, but it's, it's just really frustrating. But what about you for FIFA in particular? Cause I know you play FIFA more than I do. Yeah. FIFA. I've been playing FIFA a lot lately. Like you said, the game mode for me is sort of deteriorating. I think they put a lot on Volta this year, you know, tried to market that. And they didn't, and no, not a lot of people liked Volta. Keep that in mind. It, yeah. it really was overhyped. It was, it was really overhyped, but I, I think they lost sort of, some of the like you like you touched on with the you know like being in career mode like i've been playing i think like five or six seasons now and if you if you get if you sign on to a good team you know and you're the manager of like you know man you're like a dominant club that has some money like you can kind of cheese the game like a little bit you know and you can like they keep funding you and you can just basically get 95s over your whole team so it gets to the point where you're just like winning champions leagues and stuff every year um but like my my biggest frustration and i mentioned it to you and you took notice to it too is like 
playing in my career on FIFA and like you have a 55 overall coming to you and saying, coach, I need to play yeah, in the career like, mode, every yeah. other day. And it's just like blowing up your inbox of just trash players asking to play. It's like, uh, that's my biggest beef with FIFA this year is that like the keeping the players happy is just terrible. Yeah. The, the, the morale system for what it's worth was a good idea in concept in theory, but, or in theory, but in practice, it was terrible. And I don't know if you've experienced this. I was meaning to ask you, have you had, uh, you wait, so have you're doing a Borussia Dortmund career mode, right? Yeah. Uh, just on your own time. Uh, and you're in what season now? I think five or six. Have you had issues with champions league or Europa league? Issues as far as what? The game, the actual Champions League and Europa League not working at all? No. Oh, I'm surprised because that's actually been very common as you go through as you go through the Sims. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a really common problem. So yeah, I, I haven't had any problems with that. Yeah, I'm surprised because I've, I've seen it. Um, but yeah, in, in general, I mean, it's just, it, it's these modes like career mode where it's, it's kind of what makes the game the game. And the fact of the matter is, is all of these games that we mentioned just don't put enough effort into building it the way they should because they focus on all these modes where they make a bunch of money. 100%. They, they're losing what makes the game the actual – the what people want to buy is, mm-hmm. you know, these type of modes where it's more or less simulating, you know, you actually being a part of these franchises. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're marketing more of, you know – more or less like beating other people you know what i mean mm-hmm. rather than being a part of kind of the experience mm-hmm. which i feel like is you know I, I get it you know people want to win and stuff but there's also something to you know being a part of your favorite franchise or whatever yeah know? and i think i think even even on fifa even when you do like a road to glory or stuff like that you're also just going to encounter countless issues as well if you yeah. didn't start from the bottom and move along and that, that can be a long process as well but i think the, the conclusion that we're making here is at least with sports games themselves considering especially how much fun you can have an ultimate team and, and it can get stale after a while and then we know about all these career modes and stuff it's like you have to really now, I think, think, think really, really deeply about how, how much worth is the game to you exactly. to pay 60 bucks a year or in 2K's case, 70 bucks. And exactly. it's up to the player to make that decision. But at some point, it, it's, it, I think people have to start taking away this idea of, oh, I need to get it every year just because there's a big feature. And yes, I imagine that we will all get excited for whatever 2K21 is going to look on next gen. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's be honest. We're going to be hype about it. But as with Volta, for example, even though we're going to be excited, how, how much hype is that going to be? Is that only going to last the first months of the game and that's it? Yeah. So is it really worth the money? And I think this is something that an individual gamer has to decide for themselves. But it's something that I think I've really focused on the last year is, okay, is it really worth the money? Because for me, when, it, when I'm gaming, it's about how much money did I spend on the game? Like, I spent $20 on Madden this year. I can tell you I got that money's worth just from playing it for three or four months because I spent 20 bucks. If I spent 60 bucks, I don't think I would have that same thought process because I think by this point of the year, I don't think I would 
I, it'd be hard for me to really have fun with it. Yeah. Even though hard. we're in quarantine. Right. I mean, there's definitely, yeah. Like, like you said, kind of a timeline for it and what price point and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think, I think the simplest conclusion here that I guess I'm trying to make, and I know we've had discussions on this endlessly as well. It's like for you as an individual gamer, if, you just have to look at the money and see, okay, based on how much time I'm going to spend and how much enjoyment I'm going to have, is it worth the money? And if it is to you, whatever price point it is, then yes. But if it's not, it's probably best to wait a while mm-hmm. than anything else. Do you kind of agree that that's sort of our conclusion here? Yeah, definitely. I think that's more than a fair analysis. I, I tend to agree with it. Yeah. I think it's becoming consensus though. Yeah, it's getting closer, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Great show today. Uh, we'll be back on next week. Uh, we'll figure out that timetable uh, for next week for you to come back on. But uh, it uh, it sure will be fun as it was today. So uh, thanks for coming on, man. I'll be on tomorrow with uh, Shane and Brandon, and we'll cover a bunch of NFL news and all that stuff. So uh, thank you again, Cole, for coming on. It was great. Yeah, as always, it was really fun. I always appreciate you having me on the show. Great stuff today, and uh, good good luck on the show tomorrow. I, yeah. I I just want to mention one more time to our viewers. I'll, I'll have the flag up, up there for yeah. you. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that flag will always live in infamy, especially after that. I know our viewership loves it. Got to keep it rolling for them. <laughs> all right, man. I'll see you next week. See you all tomorrow, guys.